somebody asked this morning, what do, you, what do you do now? And I said, I'm an interim pastor. And they said, what is an interim pastor? I said, well, you know, he's a guy who just, he's usually retired. He's old. I can agree with that. <laughs> and uh, he, he supplies for churches that are looking for pastors until they find someone. I was in one church up in Alabama a while back, and I was explaining to some of the kids there, the teenagers, smart teenagers, of course, about what an interim pastor was. And they said, what, what, what is that? What, what do you do? What is an interim pastor? And I said, well, uh, I, I go to churches that don't have pastors. And I've been in uh, seven of them so far. And they usually last, you know, six months to a year. Most of mine have lasted a year. That since, so I've not been here a whole lot over the past seven years since I've retired. And I said, um, uh, well, an interim pastor is, uh, 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 and I looked at the window and it had, uh, had a cracked glass in it and somebody put a piece of pasteboard in it. And I said, I'm kind of like that pasteboard you see right there. I'm not a real pain. And the kid said, oh, yes, sir. My daddy says you are a real pain. <laughs> well, why I do it. In uh, Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter 10, there's a wonderful, wonderful story. Luke 10, 25. Luke 10, 25. If you have your Bibles, you want to turn to that? Yeah, they've got it up here. Then an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he asked him. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, he told him. Do this, and you will live. I have a feeling that the man realized I hadn't been doing all this. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus took up the question and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him and when he saw the man he had compassion he went over to him and bandaged his wounds pouring on olive oil and wine then he put him on his own animal brought him to an inn and took care of him the next day he took out two denarii gave them to the innkeeper and said take care of him when I come back I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The one who showed mercy to him, he said. Then Jesus told him, go and do the same. If you had announced to Jesus' people in those days that this is going to be called the parable of the good Samaritan, they would have said, oh, no such thing. That's an oxymoron. Now, you know what an oxymoron is, right? 
when you use two, two phrases, two words that normally don't, uh, wouldn't, you wouldn't think about using the same phrase or same sentence. Like when someone says, now just act naturally when your mother tells you act naturally. Well, you know, if I'm natural, I'm not acting. Uh, when some old boy looks at his girlfriend and says, we're alone together. Well, are we? Or when I think of some of you, I think about he's clearly confused. <laughs> or it was a deafening silence. What? How about a farewell reception? How about growing smaller? Here's one we down here on the coast like jumbo shrimp. What in the world is a jumbo shrimp? An original copy. Uh -huh. A small crowd. Here's one women use a whole lot. A mature adult male. <laughs> one that you hear a lot today is virtual reality, don't you? Virtual reality? Huh? What if you tell your girlfriend, you're awfully pretty? She'll probably go away shaking her head saying, am I not awful or am I pretty? Um, what about crash landing? What about a definite maybe? What about a fine mess you've got us into here? Here's one men use a lot, guys. A decisive woman. Is there such a thing? Here's one we hear a lot today in wide of Washington, Congressional Intelligence Committee. Uh-huh. How about an honest politician? And how about a good Samaritan? They would have told you in Jesus' day, there's no such thing as a good Samaritan. You can't use those two words in the same sentence. Well, it just left, when Jesus told this parable, it just left a lot of people reeling. The good Samaritan, it came to be known. Let me explain to you. Jesus had become so popular to the, to the common people that uh, his enemies had to destroy him. They just could not let him go on like this. He was getting too popular and taking their place as a teacher of the people. And uh, many people said, he's the Messiah, you know. He's, he's really the Messiah. And so... Uh, the uh, enemies of Jesus had to try to get rid of him. And so they posed hypothetical questions. They asked him deep questions about his theology, you know, and all that kind of stuff like that. Even questioning about his staff, Randy. <coughs> question about his staff, Kenneth. What kind, of, what kind of guys are these? They questioned Jesus about everything that he did and the people that he was around. And here in this story, they send a lawyer to test Jesus. Now, this uh, lawyer came to see if Jesus knew his Bible. You know, they're always asking you questions if you're a teacher, a preacher, something like that. They're always asking you questions about what you know about the Bible. They want to catch you. I help these pastor search committees try to find pastors, and they ask them questions all the time. I'll never forget one question that Tracy Allen asked me one time. Where does it say in the Bible the tub sits on its own bottom? I said, Tracy, that's not in the Bible. He said, oh, yes, it is. No, it's not. People are always asking you questions like that, trying to trip you up, you see. A, a lawyer in those times was more like a Jewish religious professor. Uh, not somebody who went to court 
to a Roman court for a trial. But he was a man who studied the Old Testament continuously, who interpreted it for others. If you had a question, you would come to him. He defended it from all the attacks in the world that brought about it. And he had credentials. He had been to rabbinical schools and all those kinds of things. And he, he knew about, he knew his Old Testament. He had memorized it. And uh, people respected his education and they expected, they, they liked his experience and his life. And uh, he could bring charges against you if he caught you teaching something, saying something, living some sort of way. He could bring charges against you he was the lawyer. And so he elbows his way up to the front where he can get in front of Jesus and he's going to test Jesus. Look out, friends. If you start to test Jesus, you're going to find out you're the ones that's going to be tested. And this man came to test Jesus, it says here. So uh, it was his job to test teachers. So you teachers in here know that you have to take tests from time to some time to time, a national teacher's exam or something like that. You've had to take all those tests. And uh, they tested teachers in those days. If they found out somebody was gathering people around the temple and teaching them, then these lawyers would come around and listen to them and say, do you know what you're talking about? Are you teaching heresy? What, what's going on here? So they would listen. They would tell you whether you were allowed to teach or not. But this man was hoping he would test Jesus' knowledge of the Old Testament, hoping that he failed hoping that he would say something too much or not enough. But like all lawyers, he already knew all the answers to the questions. He probably had a notebook on this very thing that he asked. But he learned a hard lesson that day. Trying to test Jesus winds up discovering that you're being tested. Here's the test question, verse 25. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Good question. What must I do? His question is essentially, is how does a person get to heaven, Jesus? How does a person get to heaven? Great question. Everybody needs to know the answer to that, don't you? You know the answer to that, don't you? I hope you do. If you don't, you need to listen carefully today. How do you tell somebody how to get to heaven? What would you, if someone came up to you and says, can you tell me how I can get to heaven? What would you tell them? Are you prepared for something like that? Um, you might start with John three sixteen, right? Well, uh, the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God gave his Son. And those who believe, what does believe mean? And who is his Son? And what is everlasting life? Could you tell them? Could you, if someone said, how can I be saved? How can I go to heaven? Could you tell them? Could you say, well, you know, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Could you tell them, well, you know, the wages of sin is death. But the gift, oh, the gift of God is eternal life. Could you tell them that? That all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Can you tell them things like that? If someone comes to you this week, I hope you're able to tell them how they can get to heaven. They have to be with Jesus. They have to trust Jesus. This man asked, how, how, can, I, how can I get to heaven? Now, Jesus asked him a question, verse 26. Well, what's written in the law? Does the law tell you about how to live the life of uh, people of inheritance? How do you read it, he says in verse 26. 
And uh, the man was of that company that always knew the answers to questions like this. Uh, they had these games that they played where they would say, get these rabbis together, these uh, religious teachers together, and they'd say, okay, you uh, stand on one foot and uh, tell me the heart of the Old Testament. So they'd stand on one foot and see who could stand there the longest and, and tell you what the Old Testament was. Essentially to them, it got boiled down to love God, love neighbor. That comes right out of the Old Testament. Good, good answers. So this man answers correctly. He says, well, uh, near as I can tell, we're to love, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Hmm. What does that mean? With all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. Now, as he said these things, I'm sure it must have been getting to him. Do I really love God like that? Am I? Is that me? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your strength and your mind and your neighbor as yourself. He said, that's what, the, that's what the scriptures tell us. That's how we're supposed to be living. And Jesus said, that's good. That's good. Now you do that and you're going to be all right. And uh, that should have been enough, huh? But the guy... You know, he's, as, as he says here, he wants to justify himself because I think he got caught in this trap. You know, he quoted that scripture and all of a sudden it is, uh, it is convicting him. What does it mean that I should love the Lord like that and love my neighbor? And so he's trying to justify himself and he pursued the line about loving your neighbor. He says, well, well <coughs> excuse me, Jesus, uh, who is my neighbor? Jews wanted all relationships and all situations to be clearly defined. They had volumes and volumes of commentaries about this. They argued about the definition of a neighbor. The rabbi said, this is one of their written things about neighbor. An Israelite killing a stranger inhabitant doth not die for it of the Sanhedrin because it is said if anyone lifts up himself against his neighbor... We are not to contrive the death of Gentiles, but if they are in any danger of death, we need not be bound to deliver them. If any of them fall into the sea, you need not take him out, for such a one is not your neighbor. What? That's what they said. He's trying to identify a neighbor. So Jesus said, well, let me clarify this before you talk about who your neighbor is. And everyone listening. Are you listening? Everyone was listening. The setting of the parable is the Jericho Road. If you know anything about their geography, you know that uh, from Jerusalem, if you, if you were going, uh, going east, you'd go up the hill, the Mount of Olives, and go up to Bethany, and then you would cross over and go way down, 3,300 feet descent down to the Jordan Valley. Rough road, 17 miles that way. Jericho Road, rough, rocky wilderness, caves, dangerous Yet you had to go to Jericho sometime, many of them. It was a great business center, for instance. It was a rich city. If you wanted to deal with the government, sometimes you had to go over there because King Herod decided he didn't like the cold winters in Jerusalem, and he built himself this lavish winter palace in Jericho, the city of roses. You see, it was so far down in the, in, in the river bottom, in the valley, that it was warm all the time. It was kind of like Miami Beach, you know. You'd just go down there and spend your winter there. 
it was their retreat. Many of them had homes there. And if you had to go north, if you're going to Galilee, to, you know, some of those places, to Damascus, to Antioch, some of those places, uh, you, you, you usually went that way. Now, you could go due north from Jerusalem, but there's one problem. You have to go through Samaria. Nobody, no good Jew goes through Samaria because Samaritans are dirty. You have to shake the dust off. You can't talk to a Samaritan. You can't, you, you can't shake hands. You can't do business with these Samaritans. You can't, just can't do that. You just can't pass through Samaria. So what they did, they took the bypass. 17 miles down into the valley, over to Jericho, up the other side of the valley, and then they would go up uh, along the east bank until they came to Galilee, and then they would cross the river again. So many, 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 many people came through Jericho. We even find Jesus doing that sometimes. Well, you also have to understand that half the priests lived there. Priests would be on duty for two weeks, and then they'd be off. And so a lot of them like to live close by. So a lot of them made their homes in Jericho. Half the priests of Israel lived in Jericho. Now on that 17 mile patch through the wilderness and rocks and bushes and caves, robbers made a good living. Travelers usually had money. Government officials had money. Merchants had money, 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 money. As a matter of fact, it was called the path of blood. So many people came through there and got robbed and beaten up. Be careful on that road. Don't you go down that road by yourself. I'm sure if you were a mother, you told your teenager, you go down that road. I catch you going that road. I'm going to take my flip-flop and wear you out. <laughs> Don't you go down the Jericho Road by yourself. You always go with the crowd. You always go with a bunch. You go down the Jericho Road, you're asking for trouble. Unless you're with a, a large group of people. And Jesus said a certain man was traveling down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Down. Anytime you leave Jerusalem, you're going down. I don't care if you're going up in a balloon. You're, you're going down as far as they were concerned spiritually. He went down from Jerusalem to Jericho on this dangerous road, apparently alone. Some robbers jumped him. Some lonely stretch of that road, they... Beat, beat him up, robbed him, stripped his clothes off of him, beat him senseless, left him half dead, bleeding, probably unconscious, dying all alone over there on the side of the Jericho Road. You and I would say, somebody dial 911. This guy needs to be medevaced back to Jerusalem somewhere to a, well, he needs some help. Somebody, oh, and maybe the man is barely conscious. Maybe he hears something. Clip, clop, clip, clop, clip, clop. It's a donkey. Oh, somebody's coming to help me if he's able to, if he's aware at all of where he is. And it was a priest. A priest came by, man of compassion. I, I, you know, I bet you this man riding this donkey, I bet he had a Star of David patched on the back of that donkey. Down the road he goes. He's been serving his two weeks in the temple. He's headed home now to, to Jericho. And so he is a man of compassion. And you think, well, he's going to help out here. He's just a, he's a, he's a good man. The priest took one look, though, steered that donkey over to the other side, the other lane, the passing lane. And he looked the other way and kept on going. What? 
what? How can you do that? But he did. But if the man is still conscious at all, he's pretty soon he hears some more. Clip, clop, clip, clop. Ah, here comes a Levite. That's y'all. <laughs> Levites were the singers of the temple. They assisted in the service of the temple. Oh boy, those singers, they've got compassion, right? I hope, do they? Okay, all right. <laughs> They're compassionate people. He's going to help. Here he comes down the road. He's got, his, he's got his banjo hooked on the back of his donkey, right? You know what you told me they played? No. I don't know what he's got against banjos. Anyway, here he comes down the road, the Levite. He's been his, serving his two weeks down there at the temple. He's been singing, you know. He's, uh, he's about worn out, and he's got some time off now, and he's coming down the road. And he, sure enough, he sees this man, and uh, he steers to the other side. And he floorboards that donkey, you know, and down they go. Away they go. Now, why would a priest and a Levite not stop to help? What is the problem here? What is wrong with these people? Well... Jesus' audience knew why he didn't stop. Neither one of them stopped. Number one, it might be a trap, you know. This guy just may be lying over there as a trap. He's kind of, kind of trying to, he's kind of the bait of the trap. That may not be blood, I see. It may be Whataburger ketchup, you know. But he's lying there on the side of the road, and I go over there and see about him, and two of his buddies jump out behind that bush, and they beat me up and, and leave me like that. Well, that might be, might be a trap. Or I could be contaminated. If he is dead, I could be contaminated because I am a priest or a Levite. And if I go and touch a dead body, the rules say I have to go through this awful time of cleansing and it's expensive. I can't afford to do that. Well, I'm tired. I've spent two weeks at the church service. You know, old Spencer preaches two hours every time he preaches. And so I'm tired. I want to go home. Or he, you know, maybe some other reason. It could be that there's no way I can identify this man as a neighbor. That's what the problem was. Is he a neighbor or not? If I had a 10-foot pole, I might punch him and say, uh, hey, wake up out of your coma and uh, tell me who you are. Give me your name and nationality and social security number so I can identify if you're my neighbor. Are you my neighbor? And I can't tell if you're my neighbor like this. But the priest and the Levite left him half dead. He's just roadkill. We Southerners know about roadkill. And he saw roadkill lying on the side of the road and so they passed by. Then Jesus said a Samaritan came down the road riding his donkey. Now what is a Samaritan? We know about Jews but what is a Samaritan? Samaritans were a race of people that developed after 722 B.C. The Assyrians invaded the northern part of Israel in 722, and they conquered that region, and they took a lot of the people out and made slaves out of them. And then they, the Assyrians loved to mix up their empire. They had a vast empire, and they would take people from Asia Minor and from Persia and from all places, and they'd move them all around so that you wouldn't get these nationalistic tendencies and so they put, them, they put a lot of people down in northern Israel. And these people in northern Israel married the Jews who were left. And after a few hundred years, you've developed this whole new bunch called Samaritans. Now, that was a big problem. The 
Jews who were carried off into Babylon said, we don't intermarry with other people. They stayed purely Jewish. So when they returned and found all these Samaritans living in northern Israel, they, they did not welcome the Samaritans to Jerusalem. The Samaritans built their own temple at Mount Gerizim about 400 B.C. Samaritans sided with the Syrians in the Maccabean Wars. The Jews burned the temple at Mount Gerizim in 128 B.C. The Samaritan Bible left out all kinds of parts of the Bible, the prophets, for instance. They changed a few things. Years and years went by, and uh, there was a lot of hatred, long history of racial hatred. Samaritans were supposed to be unclean. Jews avoided them by passing through from not passing through Samaria. Just wouldn't go that way. They'd go over to Jericho and go up the east bank. So when Jesus told the story of a good Samaritan, that was an oxymoron. He, this man is beaten, robbed, and then a Samaritan came along, and the people listening to Jesus, the Jews listening said, "Well, if he's not dead yet, he's going to be." This guy will probably take a rock and smash his head in or slit his throat. But surprise, surprise, he's a good Samaritan. Now, if you were a Jew and you wanted to use a cuss word, a term of derision and contempt, you wanted to call somebody a dirty name, you'd say, you're nothing but a Samaritan. Hmm. You won't believe this? Look in John 8, 48 sometimes. Jesus' enemies had gathered around him, expressing their hatred for Jesus. And one of them called out, Aren't we right in saying you're a Samaritan and demon-possessed? Oh, they called Jesus a Samaritan. So when you talk about a good Samaritan, it didn't make sense to most of those people. It just doesn't make sense. It's an oxymoron. But here this guy comes. Well, he could have knocked him over with a feather when he said the man had compassion. You mean, what? You mean a, verse 33, a Samaritan on his journey came up to him and when he saw the man he had compassion. Nobody else had compassion. This man has compassion on this guy. Hmm. Well, amazing. Are you trying to tell me a Samaritan is capable of compassion? Yes, what he did was he stopped, got off his donkey, cleaned this man up, poured oil and wine on his uh, cuts and bruises, bandaged him up, put him on his donkey, hauled him to the nearest inn, took care of him all night long, Left him in the care of the intaker the next day. Left some money there to take care of this man. Feed him. And if you spend more than this, then when I come back, you know I'm a tra travel here a lot. When I come back, I'll pay you the rest of the money. Just take care of him, would you please? Don't you know Jesus' audience was floored? I thought about the victim this week. What about that victim? When he realized it was a Samaritan. When how he felt. Lord it was good for you to send help. But couldn't you have found a good Jewish boy somewhere. No. 
The Good Samaritan story may be bad news to a prejudiced person. Because Jesus, the way Jesus tells this story there, you guys talk about all the law. This lawyer wanted to talk about the law. But Jesus said, let's, let's go on from law to love and compassion. And they were not ready for that. I wish I could have seen this guy's face. Don't you think about it? To the robbers, the man was a target, a victim to exploit. To the priest and the Levite, the man was a nuisance to avoid. To the lawyer, the man was a problem to be discussed. To the Samaritan, the man was a neighbor to help. So Jesus asked the lawyer, who was a neighbor to this man? I want you to notice how the lawyer responded. He did not say the Samaritan because he couldn't say that. Which one was a neighbor? Uh, which one was the neighbor? Uh, uh, uh. Which one was the neighbor to this man? Which one, had, which one was the neighbor? And the lawyer says, I guess it was the one that showed compassion and mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do the same. You hear me? You passed by a distressed person lately? Somebody this week, maybe? You probably will. You may find somebody sitting and weeping and you don't know what's wrong with them. But you say, I ain't got time for that. Maybe some kid at high school, middle school, you pass by and they're sitting there just weeping their heart out. I ain't got time to listen to this. Somebody who needs help. Somebody who's broken. Somebody who is distressed. Somebody who's crying their heart out. Somebody is distressed. Well, I want to tell you, this is how it works. This is how it happens. You see, you were the one beaten up and left in the ditch. You. Sin came by and beat you up and left you half dead took away what was important to you, took away your joy, sin, hatred, lust. Oh, you can, you can think about it, all the sins that come into your life, all the things that leave you lying in a ditch saying life is over. I'm beaten to a pulp. There's no hope for me. I'm lost in sin. I don't know what I'm going to do now. That was you. But then somebody came along, didn't he? And you know what his name was? Jesus, Jesus came along. And Jesus came along and stopped and said, I have compassion on you. I have compassion on you. And he's going to get you out of that ditch. He's going to bind up your wounds because he's compassionate. He loves you. He's going to pick you up and hold you close to him because he has compassion. Is that where you find yourself today, lying in the ditch? Jesus is passing by. 
Let him come to you. Don't say, no, I'll wait for somebody else. No. Jesus is here. Jesus is right here in this building. Do you realize that? Where God's people gather together, Jesus is right here with us. And he's coming over to get you out of the ditch. So let him get you out of the ditch today. If you've not received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you need a Savior, everybody needs a Savior. Because all of us get beaten up by life. And you need a Savior. And his name is Jesus. Why don't you come this morning and we'll be glad to talk with you about receiving the Savior, letting him get you out of the ditch, uniting with the church, people of compassion to help you. Maybe you need a church home and you say, boy, this is, this is where God wants me. I'm going to be right here. Did you do that this morning? We're going to stand right now. We have an invitation hymn, invitation. And uh, Brother Randy and I will be here. If you need to talk to somebody this morning, you just come on down. We would be happy to have you.